0: All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day. Another day to even recognize your peace and to embrace the peace that you've purchased for us. We thank you, Father, most of all that you sent your son down to become a man to literally take our place on the cross in judgment so that whoever trusts in him can have peace with you forever and ever despite our sinfulness. Father, we ask that you bless this message, that your spirit guide us and teach us today, help us understand spiritual things as only you can help us and help us be humble before your mighty word and your spirit. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, and by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. So, Peace Be With You is our title of this series for this week, and as you can see, it's in quotes. Uh, it's in quotes because the Lord himself said it, but also because of when he said it. That's really the, the impetus for this study and what the Lord um, impressed upon me and um, asked me to dive into weeks ago. So as we begin, one of our Lord's great desires is for us to realize the peace He has purchased for us. That's really like something that in God's heart, if you will. Um, Think of a father, too, and how the father wishes the best for his children, right? wants his children to be happy, wants his children to have peace. Well, one of the Lord's great desires is for us to realize the peace that he's purchased for us. Realize it, experience it in this life, enjoy it. So before the crucifixion, Jesus prayed for his disciples that they would enter into his peace. So let's first go to John 14, 27. And again, keep in mind, this is before the crucifixion. And the Lord was praying for the disciples. He prayed that they would enter into his peace. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. Notice the Lord's instructions. I'm leaving you my peace. Don't be fearful. In other words, you have no reason to fear if you understand what I'm doing for you. No reason at all. This is one thing he was training his apostles in, preparing them in sending them out. Again, look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And again, this was shortly before our Lord's crucifixion. Now let's fast forward to after the crucifixion and the resurrection. He greeted them with a unique greeting one that I don't think he used before his resurrection, at least not that I could find in Scripture, which was "Peace be with you." Go to John 20 verse 19. John 20:19. So this was after the crucifixion, the, the apostles are waiting around, as the Lord kind of told them to wait and pray they were in fear, too. In verse 19, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So there we see twice he used that phrase, peace be with you. And also notice his declaration of peace is connected in fulfilling the Great Commission in verse 21. But that's another part of the story that we'll see later on in this series. His peace is one of our great weapons as we spread the gospel is what it comes down to. Look at verse 26, John twenty twenty-six. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. There it is again. I mean, couldn't he have said a lot of different things when he first, first saw them? Like, hey, I'm back, or, you know, he could have said anything, right? I love you guys. You know, I told you I was coming back. He said, peace be with you. First words out of his mouth each time he saw them. So on the board, regarding this phrase, peace be with you, that we live in his peace is clearly one of our Lord's great desires for us. And now that it is finished, according to John 19.30, We can truly rest in and live in the peace He's purchased for us. Again, that we live in His peace is clearly one of our Lord's great desires for us. You know, like if He was here, maybe He'd shake us on the shoulders and be like, don't you see what I've done for you? Don't you see what you have right now? Do you see the peace, the freedom I want you to live in now with no fear? Because victory is accomplished. It is finished, so we can truly rest in and live in the peace He's purchased for us. These are things we take for granted, especially if you've been into the Word of God for a while and you get used to it, you know, you all already know that. But the whole purpose of the Word is to give us a reality of of living, to give us the new life to live in, right? That's the whole purpose. So it should be fresh every day. So think about it. What's the difference between the Lord's wishes in John 14 and his new declaration in John chapter 20? We just read both verses, right? In John 14, he says, you know, my peace, I'm going to leave with you, right? And then in John 20, he's like, peace be with you. The difference is that it's finished. Before the crucifixion and after the resurrection. So times had now changed. This was like the, um, you know, the center point of all human history, the cross and the resurrection, don't forget. So times had now changed, and the spiritual reality had now changed. Think about that. The spiritual reality had now changed. The victory was complete and accomplished by our Lord. After the resurrection, sin and death were officially and completely defeated, right? It was official. Listen, even the Old Testament, they knew he was coming. They knew what he was supposed to do. Uh, They knew the Messiah was going to come and save them. But now it was official. And now the status of everything changes in the whole universe. uh, The relationship of God's creatures to himself is now officially and permanently changed. So peace be with you as now truly possible," is the point for those who would repent and trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. On the board, look what Matthew Henry said on this phrase, "Peace be with you." The Lord was conferring upon them all the blessed fruits and effects of His death and resurrection. Again, it was official. It was finished. And now, here's the Lord in His new body, by the way, showing up to them like this inside a closed room with the closed doors, saying, Peace be with you. Now His peace became an actuality for all who trust in Him. The offer of peace that God made to man was now consummated, even by death. the offer of peace that God made to man was now consummated even by death. So think about this for a minute. Upon death, a man's last will and testament is now in force or in effect. Right? Only upon death. A man's last will and testament lies dormant and powerless until the man's death then it's active and has power to it. But until then, the last will and testament of, you know, anybody could be a gloriously written document with amazing promises in it, but it's not a reality and it doesn't go into effect until the man dies. And so this is the case with our Lord. His wishes for his assets are now actively and properly granted to his heirs who were left behind. And uniquely, um, this is a (laughs) once-in-forever occurrence, Jesus was also the executor of his own will. He's like probably saying to Satan, try to beat that one, you know? Yeah, I I made my promises. I I wrote my will, so to speak, my covenant, my promises. And not only am I going to die and let the inheritance be released, but I'm going to come back and distribute it. greater victory. On the board, look at Hebrews 9, 16, and 17 in the NIV. It says, In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. Remember Matthew Henry's comments? On the previous slide, is that it? No, hold on one second. There you go. The Lord was conferring upon them all the blessed fruits and effects of his death and resurrection. Again, in Hebrews 9 16 and 17. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who who made it, because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. So let's get some context here. And this passage will also be valuable as we continue in this study later this week. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 9.15. Hebrews 9.15. I wanted to show you the passage on the board to give you a different translation. We actually can see the word will in there. Um, as it's related to death and the release of inheritance. But the wording in the New American Standard is a little bit different, but the same, the same message comes across. Hebrews 9.15. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, talking about the Lord. He is a mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the inter- eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. So here we see the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament uh, as part of the first covenant. In verse 21, And in the same way he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Therefore it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often, as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that's not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, Once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so uh, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. In other words, the Lord only needed to sacrifice himself once for it to be effective for all time. But how did this passage start? In verse 16. Look at verse 16 again. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. So Christ followed through on God the Father's plan to be sacrificed all for our benefit so he could show up in heaven representing us saying peace has been purchased. And look how the author of Hebrews ends this letter to the Jews. Turn to uh, Hebrews 13, verse 20. Hebrews thirteen, twenty. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The God of peace. Part of God equipping us is equipping us with the Lord's peace itself. The very peace of the Lord. Not, not our peace in any way. It's literally His peace. It's literally Him, really. But this is the peace he's, he's conferring to us after His death. This is the peace that is now complete and is not missing anything. So it's part of our inheritance, and it's part of our way to walk through this life, no matter what's going on. You know, that's why the scriptures tell us that we can have peace in any circumstances. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You could be on your dying bed with cancer. You could have some tough things going on in your family. Like, all, think about all these things are details. In the big picture, when we step back, we have peace with God. <laughs> we have peace with God. That's crazy, because it had nothing to do with us and everything to do with His blood sacrifice. We have peace with God. Does anything else really matter in the big picture? Yes, God wants us to live and apply this peace and, and live in His principles, right? And life's got problems, no doubt about it. But He says, "You can have my peace and not fear. Don't be fearful you don't have to fear. So that's where we rise above it all. That's where we can look down. You know, we can transcend all the details of life and sit back and laugh and say, you know what, (laughs) we're really going to laugh about this in heaven. All these things are temporary anyway. So let's get through it best we can and have honor and integrity. But ultimately we have His peace. On the board the pulpit commentary on this phrase, peace be with you, Jesus was now coming to his disciples in utterly different circumstances from any in which he had come before. Right? After the resurrection, Jesus was now coming to his disciples in utterly different circumstances from any in which he had come before. So three times the first words out of his mouth were peace be with you. Again, when someone dies, the assets in one's last will and testament are now legally distributed. One of the major accomplishments from the Lord's death and resurrection was that we could now inherit true peace with God. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 2, verse 11. In other words, there's nothing left in the way between you and peace with God. And there's nothing that can interrupt this peace anymore. You know, like, so from a human perspective, you're in the Old Testament, or maybe you're alive even when Jesus is alive, and you're saying, what if he doesn't go to the cross? You know, what if he doesn't follow through and do it? So there's still something left hanging, even though the Lord was perfect, and and because of that, he fulfilled it. But now there's, there's nothing in the way of peace with God. There's nothing left hanging. It's it's all completely done. So the, the attitude and the conference of the blessings were now real. Look at Ephesians 2.11. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. See that? Strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in this world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. When was the book of Ephesians written? New Testament by Paul after the resurrection was complete and victorious. So now, we, now he's looking back on something already accomplished in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly, formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, that's enemyship, if you will, between man and God, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both In one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. In other words, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. He came and preached peace to you. Verse 18 For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Why do we have access now? Because the price has been fully paid, right? Because peace has now been officially consummated. So now we all have access, uninhibited access, to God the Father just by faith in His Son. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. The adoption is complete. You know, there's no more documents to sign for the adoption either because peace has been fulfilled. But here's our problem. We often keep our eyes of faith closed or just squinting through to take a peek. Like, is this for real? Can I really trust this? Do I have to earn my way in some way? And these are subtle things that go on in the depths of our souls, even as believers. We, we doubt, right? Doubting Thomas. That's why the Lord came back in the house again and said, Peace be with you, because Thomas wasn't there the first time. We doubt. These are subtle things in our souls where we just squint through to take a peek and we're like, is this really complete? Is it really for real? We're not fully trusting But the Lord wants us, as our Father wants for His children, to embrace His peace with eyes wide open. Like a child uninhibited. Embrace His peace with eyes wide open. We've been set free. We have peace with God now forever. Look at what He's done for us. Look at the crucifixion, the ascension, the resurrection, the session and receive his peace by faith. It's done. Peace be with you. The Lord didn't surrender to judgment and death on the cross for nothing. It was for everything, in fact, and he knew it was for everything, which is why he followed through. On the board, Jesus' death grants us peace. It was for eternal peace with God so that as believers... He could become our father, even though as sinners we were his enemies. Have faith. Receive his peace. Jesus' death grants us peace once for all. It was for eternal peace with God, so that as believers he could become our father, even though as sinners we were his enemies. Another reason we can have his peace on the board Jesus' death grants us peace. Our Lord and Savior and substitute walks with us every day as our resurrected king. Psalm 16, 8 through 11 and Psalm 18, 35. That's the reality of the situation for the one that has faith. Our Lord and Savior and substitute walks with us every day as our resurrected king. We know he holds us by the right hand, according to Scripture, for those who believe. And let's look at the confidence that David had in this fact, even before his Lord's sacrifice was accomplished at the cross for him. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm sixteen, verse eight. Psalm sixteen eight. I want you to remember this was written by David a thousand years before Christ. David was so confident in God going to save him that God's peace was a reality in his life for the most part. He said he failed like all of us. He doubted at times like all of us. But his habit of life, his lifestyle was one of peace because he kept on trusting God as we're going to see. So even before Christ came, David saw the Lord as risen from the grave. Psalm sixteen eight. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. There we see a prophecy on the resurrection, by the way. Nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. And that same God... In his right hand there are pleasures forever, is the one in verse 8. David said, he is at my right hand, so I'm not going to be shaken. I'm not going to fear. Again, the point on the board. Our Lord and Savior and substitute walks with us every day as our resurrected king. Look at Psalm 18, verse 35. I mean, some of us, we we literally need to picture this as we go through our day, that he's like holding our right hand. He's with us all the time. He can't not be because he's omniscient and, and he's everywhere, right? Omnipresent. He can't not be if you're one of his own. Psalm 1835, You have also given me the shield of your salvation. And your right hand upholds me, and your gentleness makes me great. On the board, Jesus' death grants us peace. If David had this peace from God's presence by faith, how much more should we have it now that our debt has been fully paid and Jesus is resurrected from the dead in victory? David looked forward to the cross and the resurrection. And he had such faith in it that he said, this is done already. And my God is with me. He's at my right hand. So this is one of the reasons Jesus said to the disciples, peace be with you after the resurrection. It's consummated. The victory that that the Jews have been waiting for for thousands of years is now complete. Think about it. If Jesus says to us, peace be with you, it must be a valid offer. I mean, he's not going to joke around about that, right? In John 14, he says, my peace I leave with you before the resurrection, right? But in John 20, he's like, peace be with you. It's a valid offer. It must be fully possible, in other words, to experience The only question really is, will we receive it? Will the apostles, when they were sitting there with the Lord in their midst three days later, will they receive the peace? Will they enjoy it? Throughout Holy Scripture, our Lord promises us that if we trust Him, He will light our path and take care of our problems, even before we reach them. So why not have peace? While we're going through the fire, why not have peace? He's at our right hand. He's going he's gonna to deal with all the problems in his timing. Why not have peace? Why not be a little child that trusts your father holding his hand saying, ah, whatever, dad's here, you know. This looks kind of ugly, but boy, I can't wait to see how you fix this one. This is that peace he's desiring so much for us to have, right? And we get in the way. We get in the way. On the board, a life of peace. He desires so greatly that we possess and enjoy His peace. The peace that surpasses all comprehension. The peace He died to freely give us. This passage in Philippians 4, verse 7 should look familiar to many of you. You can turn there now. And notice how the Lord's peace is possible to experience in our lives if we turn to Him in faith. And again, it's called the peace that surpasses all comprehension. You remember we said about how it can rise above it all, all circumstances? How we can rise above it and look down at it and be objective and say, okay, this is what's going on in life in the world right now or in my life right now. But really, I'm going to look at it from my heavenly citizenship perspective. And be like, Ugh, it's tough, but it's temporary. I'm going to keep the Lord's peace in this because it goes beyond all comprehension and He is my peace. So before we read this passage, again, it's a daily opportunity. The Lord wants us to know we can't do this without Him, ever. So how did He design life? He didn't just give us his peace and say, okay, it has nothing to do with your free will. I'm going to let you have it and it's going to override your life, even override your free will. You're just going to always be at peace. He didn't do that. He de- He's designed life so that a daily reliance on him is needed to experience his peace. It's already been accomplished and, per- and purchased. Peace be with you. But Life is designed that there's a daily reliance on him that's needed to experience his peace. And this is all part of our sanctification. I mean, we have the victory. We, we, we are already at peace with God positionally, right? We're saved if we've repented and trusted in Christ. So that's established. Now he's saying, I want to sanctify. I want you to uh, experience this thing in the devil's world. I want you to bring glory to me in front of the devil and his fallen angels. But I'm not going to force it upon you. I'm going to honor your free will each and every day. And I'm also going to show you that you can't have peace without me. You can't have peace without relying on me and what I've done. And that's why every day we wake up is a new morning to um, thank him, and to receive his peace. It's a new morning, a new challenge, a new day. Look at every day like an individual battle, if you will. Because when you go to bed at night, God gives you that rest to be able to put that day in the past. And when you wake up in the morning, he gives you a new day, a literally new day to bring him glory that day, right? And to receive his peace. So this is part of our sanctification in this life. His peace can only be received by living in faith. All right, let's look at um, Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice, for God's peace to guard our hearts and minds, you must live a life of faith. There's no way around that. Not a life of your own effort, your own works, your own striving. No, no, no. Just a life of faith. For example, in verse 6, right? In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. That's how you live a life of faith. That is a life of faith. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Turn to your Father, in other words. Surrender every morning you wake up to His will. That's how you receive His peace. That's a picture of a person living by faith. But it doesn't stop there in this passage. Paul continues to describe living by faith in verse 8 and 9. Look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. What do you have to do? Dwell on these things. How do you do that? By faith, right? It's a decision by faith. Dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And what? The God of peace will be with you. No way around it. His peace is there for the taking like fruit on a tree. But by faith, we have to take it. We have to receive it. And this whole passage really is a description from verses 4 through 9 on how to live by faith, on how to receive His peace. So you might go home and read this again and again and be like, oh, this is how it works. This is the, the cycle of life, if you will, the cycle of every day that needs to take place to have His peace. Because it's certainly already been purchased for us, but we get in the way. We don't live by faith. The Lord's peace, remember, has already been purchased for us eternally. But it's a daily choice whether we will receive it and experience His peace in this world or not. We know what His wishes are for us. He's like, receive my peace. Don't be fearful. Peace be with you. It's a daily choice whether we will practice these things, as verse 9 says or not, which is directly related to the God of peace being with you. I read a daily devotional book, which some of you have, I know, uh, that I do highly recommend. It's called Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. And in it, she often makes the point about the need for a daily reliance on God to experience His peace. Here's what she writes in an entry for uh, April 18th. And just so you know, she writes from the perspective of the Lord, backed by Scripture, okay? So here's what she said from April 18th in this daily devotional book, Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. Peace is my continual gift to you. It flows abundantly from my throne of grace. Just as the Israelites could not store up manna for the future, but had to gather it daily, so it is with my peace. The day-by-day collecting of manna kept my people aware of their dependence on me. Similarly, I give you sufficient peace for the present when you come to me by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Didn't we just read that, Philippians 4? Again, similarly, I give you sufficient peace for the present when you come to me by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. If I gave you permanent peace, independent of my presence, you might fall into the trap of self-sufficiency. May that never be. I have designed you to need me moment by moment. As your awareness of your neediness increases, so does your realization of my abundant sufficiency. And then she closes with this. I can meet every one of your needs without draining my resources at all. Isn't that great to remember? We think, oh, God doesn't have time for this. This is small, like Pastor always brings up. This is a little thing. Why would I bother God with this? He's got more important things. He can meet every one of your needs without draining his resources at all. That's God. Approach my throne of grace with bold confidence, receiving my peace with a thankful heart. Exodus sixteen, fifteen through sixteen, Philippians four, six through seven and nineteen, and Hebrews four sixteen. So again, there's a lot here. Let's go back to read this one more time. Peace is my continual gift to you. It flows abundantly from my throne of grace. Just as the Israelites could not store up manna for the future, but had to gather it daily, so it is with my peace. The day-by-day collecting of manna kept my people aware of their dependence on me. Similarly, I give you sufficient peace for the present when you come to me by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. If I gave you permanent peace, independent of my presence, you might fall into the trap of self-sufficiency. We might change that word might to would, right? You would fall into the trap of self-sufficiency. May that never be. I have designed you to need me moment by moment. As your awareness of your neediness increases, so does your realization of my abundant sufficiency. I can meet every one of your needs without draining my resources at all. Approach my throne of grace with bold confidence, receiving my peace with a thankful heart. So let's humbly visit these passages to receive this analogy in full. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Exodus 16, verse 14. It's our choice whether we receive his peace every day with a grateful heart or not. And I was telling a friend the other day who was going through some things, I'm like, do your best to give thanks in the middle of the suffering when things are worst, the worst. Get down on your knees and literally thank him and praise him for the suffering and see what God does in your soul. Because that was Job, wasn't it? In Job chapters 1 and 2, if you want to go read that. That was Job. And there's a certain release, there's a certain freedom and peace that is there for the taking, but it only comes upon surrender. It only comes upon turning to God with a grateful heart for everything, knowing that He has a plan. So before we read this passage, just to give you some context, the Jews are in the wilderness with Moses... Relying on God to provide for them after their escape from slavery in Egypt. Sounds like us, doesn't it? It should. Some of you are saying, I've never been to Egypt. What are you talking about? (laughs) And if so, you're missing the point. For some further context, Egypt represents the world in the Bible. And the Lord rescued us from the world and sin and death just like he rescued the Jews from these things in Egypt. Okay, so there's our setting or our background. But back to the way the Lord provides for his children day by day. Look at Exodus 16, verse 14. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground, When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece, according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much, as much as he should eat. Moses said to them, let no man leave any of it till morning. See how it's only for today, for this day, the present? Let no man leave any of it until morning. Verse 20. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. This is a picture for us of how we can't live off of yesterday's spiritual food, everybody. We can't live off of yesterday's Bible reading or yesterday's Bible lesson. You can't. You literally cannot. It runs out, so to speak. You need new food for the day, and you can't save yesterday's till today. All right, Or it goes rotten. Just stick with the analogy. So verse 21. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. But when the sun grew hot, it would melt. And there we see a picture of how God even made sure they couldn't grab too much because it would melt. They couldn't look to prepare for tomorrow. It was one day at a time with God. Period. And that's the way God designed life. So we have a pretty good analogy here of how we need to go to the Lord daily in humility if we want to enjoy His peace. We need to go to the Lord daily in the morning with a thankful heart to receive His peace. Dare I say, to eat His peace. Just like we need to eat His word every day if we're going to be sustained if we're going to enjoy his peace. So, uh, on the board, she also cited Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Let's go again to Philippians 4, verse 6. You know, as tough as it is for us to just live for today and not look to tomorrow, it also should be a relief that God's not asking you to look to tomorrow and plan ahead. Okay, it's okay to plan you know, some things. You've got to get a job or you've got to work tomorrow. Or, you know, but he's not asking you to worry about tomorrow. He's not even asking you to collect your food for tomorrow. He's like, I'll give you your daily bread. Just turn to me with a thankful heart every day. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, you've got to do it. You've got to live a life of faith each and every day, if you want his peace. It's funny how we want the Lord's peace to guard our hearts and minds, but we want it while living our own life our own way on our own terms. Isn't that funny? Aren't we peculiar people, as the Bible says? We're so strange. We're so weird. But like, God lays it out for us in this format. Here it is. Do it this way. And we're like, God, how come you're not guarding my heart right now with your peace? <laughs> as you mingle with the world and as you say, I- I'm not going to obey all that. I wanna- I'm not even going to read the word today. I'm just going to live my life and build my life up. My treasures, my pleasures, my prosperity, You know, that's what's on my heart. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so God's like, you can't have my peace the way you're deciding to live. Funny. But the Lord, out of his great love for us, will not let us experience his peace unless we follow him. Isn't that grace? Isn't that grace of a loving father who won't let you abuse yourself? Who won't let you run down into the pit? Again, the Lord, out of his great love for us, will not let us experience his peace unless we follow him. He's not asking that much of us. Again, he's not saying, you know, go do your own works and strive and earn your way to heaven. He's saying, live by faith. Follow me. Follow me. Drop the self-life. Remember that thing? You're not going to, you know, save your life unless you lose it? Crazy. Takes faith. Huh, strange. Remember John 27, 1027? His sheep hear His voice and follow Him. And it's then that they know the peace of eternal security. Interesting thing in context. Turn in your Bibles to John 1027. When can we have the greatest peace of all, the peace of eternal security? When we follow Him. And in context, that's what the Lord said, Matthew 10:27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Unless we follow him, we're not going to experience his peace, not to the full, not the one that's beyond human comprehension that allows us to look down on the things of life and even laugh at calamity. By the way, if you remember Proverbs 31 about the virtuous woman, which we were into in our last series, right? One of the verses in there says, the virtuous woman laughs at tomorrow. She laughs at calamity even. Why? She's virtuous. She follows God. She's able to step back and look at life from above and laugh at tomorrow, wondering how the Lord's going to fix it. She has the peace of God. And that's possible for all of us if we follow him. Each and every day. Is there any greater peace to possess. Than to know you are eternally saved. And secure in God's hands. But to find grace and peace. Each day that we live. We must listen to his voice. And follow him each day. And we must approach his throne of grace. Boldly each day. Again this is not. Difficult is it? He's just asking us to obey him, to follow him, to open up the prayer channel and say, hey, by the way, Lord, Father, remember, your son purchased peace for me. It's consummated now. It's done, right? That very conversation that you open up in the morning, for example, is what helps you receive his peace. See, we don't even open up the conversation. We're so stupid. On the board, look at Hebrews uh, 6:4-16 in the Amplified. Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to our sinners, that we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. But we must fearlessly and confidently and boldly approach the throne of grace. Why do we do that? Because he's already fulfilled or accomplished peace for us with God, right? Do not be afraid. And how is this even possible again on the board? Because of righteousness and peace. The believer now has peace with God. He is right with God, a.k.a. righteous, by the blood of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Because of Christ's victory at the cross and in resurrection, righteousness and peace have now kissed each other. Go to Psalm 85.10. We're at peace with God now because righteousness has been accomplished for us. He's made us righteous. Again, the point on the board, the believer now has peace with God. He is right with God, aka righteous by the blood of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5:21. Because of Christ's victory at the cross and in resurrection, righteousness and peace have now kissed each other. We're good. That's what God's saying. We're good now, if you receive it. Look at Psalm 85, verse 8. I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Loving kindness and truth, Have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. It's fulfilled, it's consummated. God's peace has been accomplished because righteousness has been accomplished. This is really a prophetic statement here in Psalm 85, uh, one of many written in the Psalms well before Christ came. Now that we've been made righteous. Through Christ, we have peace with our Almighty God. On the board again regarding righteousness and peace. If you have trusted in Christ to save you from sin and death, then you are now righteous in God's eyes. He has made you holy by grace. And you can confidently walk by faith in the peace of Christ. Confidently approach the throne of grace boldly. Why? Because peace has been established. All because we've been made made righteous by Christ's righteousness. You have peace with God because you are now totally righteous in God's eyes by grace. And so, as the Lord said to the disciples when he appeared to them after the resurrection, peace be with you. Enjoy joy my peace. It's done. It's finished. Go to 2 Corinthians 5:17. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5:17. As I begin to pick a spot to close. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation when you see that reconciliation just think of peace think of a peace treaty even therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us we beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him How can we be reconciled to God in verse 20? Because in verse 21, we can become the righteousness of God in Him by faith. That's how we're reconciled. On the board, righteousness and peace again. Reconciliation means we now have peace with God through His Son. We have this peace because God, by grace, has made us righteous by His blood. Do you see the connection? Do you see the, the vital importance of this? There's no peace without Christ's blood making us righteous in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. So righteousness and peace have now kissed each other once for all. You want a romantic kiss? Stop watching TV. Read Psalm 85. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other once for all. Think about that. Our our enmity with God has been wiped away and abolished. You know what I mean? No more enemy ship if you turn to Christ. And that is a daily process too, isn't it? You can be saved. You may have repented and trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior and you can be saved. But unless you follow him, you don't experience his peace. You don't experience even the peace of eternal security. You don't experience all that God wants you to experience to rise above it all, the peace that goes beyond comprehension. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other once for all. Again, this is why after the resurrection, Jesus said to his disciples, Peace be with you. And now, being made righteous, God has no more enmity with us. Remember Ephesians chapter 2 that we read. True believers, as we close, true believers are now innocent in God's eyes, holy and righteous even, and therefore at peace with His perfect righteous requirements. And that's what we wake up to daily every morning. It should be. We wake up thanking God for salvation itself, for righteousness and peace. You made me righteous by your blood and you give me permanent peace with you. Thank you. And that's the way to enjoy all that he worked so hard for on the cross. Did he go through the cross for nothing for you? Or did he go through every last drop of sweat and blood that he had to go through to fulfill so that we could enjoy his peace fully without any doubts? So we might say on the board, peace be with you. We now have a position of peace with God. And this position of peace has purchased for us the opportunity to live by and enjoy His peace every day. Again, we now have a position of peace with God. And this position of peace has purchased for us the opportunity to live by and enjoy his peace every day. Think about it this way. When a peace treaty is signed between warring nations, the people celebrate joyously, don't they? After years of war, think about the end of World War II. There were people celebrating and partying and parading in the streets of New York City. Why? Both sides you know, had come to peace. They were forced to peace in Germany. But both sides, it was over. The war was over. So when a peace treaty is signed between warring nations, the people celebrate because peace is consummated. And that should be our daily walk when we wake up in the morning. We can now go forward and live in peace because of what Christ has done. There's no more worries about violence and antagonism There's no more fear of what the world or mere man can do to me because I know I'm in his hands, period, no matter what he asks me to go through. So we'll close with this last point on the board. The Lord is saying something like this. Live in my peace. I have saved you by grace. Your price has now been paid. Now trust me and live in the peace that I've granted you for all eternity with me. It's really pretty simple. But it takes humility to have faith in this truth every day. It takes humility to bow before him every morning and remind yourself even that you can't do it And that you have to turn to him, you have to follow him in your heart. It is a surrender issue each and every day. And for peace be with you to be a reality in our lives, this is it on the board. Jesus is saying, live in my peace. I've saved you by grace. Your price has now been paid. Now trust me and live in the peace that I've granted you for all eternity with me. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for your wonderful word. It's so fruitful and endless. And we thank you for guiding us by your spirit to help us hear what you wanted us to hear this morning, this day, as long as it's called today. Father, help us to realize and Enjoy the fact that righteousness and peace have kissed each other once for all through the blood of your Son. Help us every day to wake up to this reality. It's been consummated. Peace has been purchased. It is finished. Father, we're so grateful for this that we don't have to worry about the details or about eternal salvation. And if anyone's listening to my voice right now, who has never turned to Christ as their Lord and Savior, I'm here to tell you that you're a sinner like all of us. You're guilty in God's eyes. But if you repent, if you admit your guilt, and you turn to Christ to be saved from your sin and death, He will save you. That's why the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Father, we ask that you help us bring your word out to a lost and dying world that needs truth so desperately. Help us share the good news in humility and faith. And help us live each and every day by faith in you. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. And it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. Thank you.